Hey, this is Pastor Jesse of City Lights Church, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We hope that it inspires you and confirms the fact that the kingdom of God is a present reality in our lives that you get to live out. You get to be God's ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. That's exciting news. We also hope that our messages challenge your identity to help you understand who you really are in Christ. I hope that you're blessed by this message today. Uh, We are talking today about heart conditions that affect every day of your life. Um, The heart condition that you have affects every day of your life. And this morning, we're going to look to the scriptures to receive instruction of how we can live in a thankful position all the time. Um, the thanks, the, the grateful heart that we have will affect every, every day of your life. And if you get this concept, you will walk through trials and you will walk through victories with the same expression on your face. I'm, I'm, I'm promising you that. And I think, I think that sometimes we begin to live lives, our lives, and we begin to let the lies of the enemy the things that we experience begin to change the expression of our face and the attitude of our heart. Does that make sense? So we begin to walk in a path that God's like, I'm not calling you to that, and I need to call you back. And actually, we'll end this morning with looking at a church that the Father calls back to realizing where their heart was at first. So um, would you turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians? We're going to start there this morning. You in life, you're, you're most thankful for the things that you find the most value in, the things that you treasure the most. Those are the things that you are the most thankful for. Does it make sense? Um, I can think of a few examples of things that I was never thankful for until I recognized my need for them or my value of them. So when, when Grace was, I think she was like three or four months old. She was little, but like not, not quite an infant anymore. We had kind of thought like things were going really well. And all of a sudden, I remember, I think Jared was in town visiting, Pastor Jared. And we're sitting there, and, you know, Grace is a normal four-month-old baby, right? And all of a sudden, she's projectile vomiting, right? Just white projectile. I'm like, that was weird. And then it begun, begins to be a habit. Every time she would eat, projectile, like nonstop. And we're like, this is weird. She was fine. Now she's not fine. Like, kids... Kids need, need to eat, right, to grow. And so as a, a parent holding your child thinking something's wrong with my kid, you begin to panic and just pray that food stays in their system. Like, what is wrong? And I remember going with Ashley to the doctors, and then they send us to a specialist, and we, we're holding our, in, our to, whatever, is four months still an infant? Yeah. A baby. We're holding our baby. And they're giving her this weird liquid. They're like, oh, it's really sweet. She'll love this. She did not love this stuff. And they're watching it through like the MRI machine or whatever it was. I'm not a doctor. And they're trying to watch it. And they're they're trying to get her to hold still to see what's happening inside, right? And basically, we walked away with just saying, we are not really sure. Um, Probably some kind of acid reflux type of thing. Give her this medicine every day. Every time you feed her, you're going to need to give her this and see what happens. And... um, we did it for like two or three days. Uh, we were supposed to do this for months, right? And we just began to pray like, God, this is, not, this, is, this is not right, and I'm asking you for something else. I'm asking you for something different. So we, we had been giving her the medicine for a few days, and uh, one day I forgot to give her her medicine in the morning. And Ash goes, did you give her her medicine? I said, no. And she had digested everything fine. And um, so the next morning, we're like, let's not give her medicines. You see what happens. We didn't give her medicine. And we just stopped giving her medicine, and she was fine. So we, like, 
We were super full of thanksgiving, of thankfulness, because my daughter was holding down milk. Like, normally that's something you're like, this is just how it's supposed to work. But when it stops working and you realize something needed fixed, you're thankful for it. I mean, how many of you guys have ever been, like, sick? Like, something sick. Like, I remember eating whatever I want, and then I get the stomach bug or something, and like three days in a row, nothing can go in and out, and it's like crackers and ginger ale. You know what I'm talking about? And I'm making covenants with God in the restroom. Uh, Don't picture anything. And I'm saying, I will never eat junk food again. Just heal this thing. And he's like, yeah, right, okay. And he heals me, and I'm thankful. And then a month later, I'm eating three burgers at In-N-Out Burger in California. Um, but like, we're thankful for the things that we know is broken. And when God fixes it or when we have it back, we respond in joy, right? And this morning, I want you to see that there's something that was broken that God has responded. And out of that brokenness into that wholeness, we have a response of thanksgiving and joy that should overflow out of our hearts. I think you guys probably understand where I'm going, but I want to solidify this this morning with you, if I can. Go to, like I say, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Um, the book of 2 Corinthians is actually uh, mo- most likely the fourth book written to the church in Corinth by the Apostle Paul. Um, we have two copies, and this church is a wild church going through all kinds of wild things, but Paul's always thankful for him, even though they're incredibly dysfunctional, like incredibly dysfunctional. And so Paul writes another letter, and this, this letter is the most aggressive kind of sounding letter he writes, but it's also so full of encouragement and life and truth that like, if I was the church, you'd, want, like, you'd probably want Paul to be really angry, but he's so life-giving, it's hard to walk away feeling scolded, right? I think that's how Christian rebuke works, that he speaks truth in the midst of brokenness, and you respond out of that. Verse 7, <laughs> this chapter... Paul is reminding the church of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that they were once broken, sinful, dead in their sins, and the light of the gospel comes, and that they're called the ministry. They're called to proclaim the gospel, right? And we have this verse in verse 7 of chapter 4. I want to read this together. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death by, for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. I'm going to hit that verse probably a lot more next week as we continue to look at this uh, one more week. Um, But this is where I want to land mostly this morning. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us with Jesus and bring us into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. 
For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And then he begins to go into chapter 5 talking about our bodies now are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. We are tents made for His presence now. We are His dwelling place. Paul is telling them, he's like, church, I want you to realize because of Christ, you, in all your dysfunction, I'm writing you a letter, the correct issues, in all of your garbage, I want you to realize what Jesus did for you. I want you to understand the gospel that's now inside of you because you were dead, alienated, and hostile. Now you're alive in Christ. The gospel is a present reality. And now he says this, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Our bodies are clay, fragile, easily broken, not really worth a whole lot, right? And you're thinking, wait, what? That doesn't sound right. I value my body, right? He says we have a treasure inside that makes our body look like jars of clay we have this thing of real eternal value inside and he's like i want you to remind you even though we go through all this stuff right now even though i'm feeling all these things i'm i'm pressed down but i'm not destroyed i'm perplexed but but i'm not forsaken i'm not driven to despair in in my body i carry a representation of the glory of jesus and what he did I get to do that. But inside of me, I have the treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That I was once dead and now I'm alive to him. And because of that, this is where I want you to see in this next thing. I want to break it down a little bit. He says, in, we have this treasure in jars of, clay, jars of clay, clay jars. This is the life of the Spirit. This is the message of the gospel. This is the light of the world. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is God in us, Christ in us, right? In broken flesh. And then he says this, this phrase, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. That's a quote if you look in your Bibles, right? Anytime you see a quote in your Bibles, it means they're quoting somebody. <laughs> That's what quotes are for. And so I have to ask myself, well, who, well, who's, who's he quoting? What, what is this? Random? Because isn't that a weird thing to say? He's like, According to the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believed and so we speak. What are you talking about? Go to Psalms 116. This is David writing, right? And this is a hymn of David. Or this is a hymn for personal thanksgiving for God, right? So the psalmist writes, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompass me. The pangs of Sheol lay hold on me. I suffer distress and anguish. You're like, Justin, this is not a happy psalm so far. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. Look at that. He's telling his own spirit to come back to rest. He was anxious, frustrated. He remembers the goodness of God. He says, rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully for you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes and my tear, from my tears, and my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. 
I believed. Even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits for me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I want you to catch this verse as well. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst of Jerusalem, praise the Lord. This is a song where the psalmist is saying, look, I've been through junk and I feel like I'm dying, but I have to speak to my spirit to worship in this moment because I remember that God has always been my rescue and he will always be my rescue. That's who he is. He says, so I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. So even when I'm crying out to the Lord, I am persecuted, I'm struggling here, I don't know what's going on, my heart still believes that he is my rescue. He is my hope. And because of that, I will offer to you a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. So Paul writes to the church in Corinthians. He understands this text. He knows the Psalms in and out. He gets this, and he says, I believed, and when I believed, I spoke. He, right before that, he said, I was struck down, but not destroyed, even though I'm persecuted and all this stuff, all this junk's happening to me. Inside is the gospel coming alive, and I believe even when I feel afflicted. The gospel, my salvation, is so alive inside of me that it produces a heart of thanksgiving. I know who my Redeemer is. I know where my help comes from. I know that I'm not left abandoned on the side of the road somewhere to die. I know that He is mine and I am His, that I am in Him. He is in me. We are one in Christ. This is the gospel. I was once alienated, left for dead. I was dead in my sins and now I'm alive in Christ. So in me, joy comes out. Thanksgiving comes out. Worship comes out. That's what happens. Paul is aware that he is in a similar place as the psalmist was. But he knows that God in Christ has gone to death and won and brought back new life for him. That's what Christ has done. That's what the cross and the resurrection, the empty grave is a reminder of. That he has gone in death's place for you and brought back new life. And now that new life, the gospel of Jesus Christ, eternal life of the Spirit, you being the dwelling place of his presence, now lives inside of this fragile jar. This fragile human clay that we are. David responds with thanksgiving. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of confusion, there's a response of thanksgiving. I like last week, Ben, it's timed out for a little praise break. I was, I was in South Africa and um, a few years, this was a while ago, and I've told you my stories of how they worship. Like, you, you say one line of, like, reminding them of the gospel, and it just turns into, there's one guy on a keyboard in a corner, the speaker's up to, like, a thousand, so it just sounds like all crackling music. And he's just wailing away, and the whole place goes nuts. Why? Because they remember the joy of their salvation. It's time for a praise break. They, they stand up and they worship. They get excited about it. And it fills the place with thanksgiving. This is what happens when we go back to the joy of our salvation. 
It's time for thanksgiving to come out. It's a great, the psalmist says this, you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. This is a promise that he holds on to. And this is the psalmist before Christ was even on the scene. And now Paul reminds them, hey, look what they had back then. We have this so much more. And let me tell you about what your jar of clay is. It's the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. That's amazing, guys. That's amazing. So worship and thanksgiving have to come out of that place. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. In the midst of suffering, he believed God and he is rescued, so he worships. Think with me, if you will, of Paul and Silas in the jail. You guys know the story, right? They're in jail. And they're in chains. And what do they do? They worship. They begin to worship God. They don't know what's going to happen. They don't know the situation, right? They're in jail and they're worshiping. And what happens? Because somebody, somebody yell it out. One of you guys knows what I'm talking about. The door's all open. Chains fall off. Whose chains? Everybody's chains fall off. It's not just Paul and Silas's chains. It's not just their jail cell. Now, who's in jail, typically? <laughs> Criminals. We think because we know Paul and Silas are there, it's a bunch of, like, good guys hanging out. We've been falsely in prison, you know, false arrest. We're protesting. No, these are criminals, rapists and murderers and, and like, the, the, the nobodies. These are not God's missionaries, right? And Paul and Silas are in this jail area with nobodies, with the worst of the worst, and they begin the worship in their suffering, and everybody's chains fall off. The doors are open, and what happens? Where do the criminals go? Nowhere. <laughs> They're already free. You don't have to escape when you're already free. They've already been free by the power of God coming in. When we begin to worship, what happens? The people around us begin to worship and they're freed. And so the jailer comes in to Paul and Silas. He's like, he's looking like, where are they, where are they at? And they're like, hey, we're, we're right here. None of us left. We're right here. Don't worry. And what happens to the jailer? Him and his whole family come to faith. They're all saved that day. Your worship produces an atmosphere of thanksgiving. Your thanksgiving produces an atmosphere where not just your life is changed, but the lives around you are changed. That's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians here, he says this, it is for your sake, talking about the gospel, so that as grace extends, as the gospel goes forth, more and more it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. The gospel brings forth thanksgiving. Thanksgiving brings forth the gospel. These things work together. Does that make sense? It's an increase. So our thanksgiving shouldn't look like this. Right? As we behold him, as we see more and more of what he's done and rescued us from, our thanksgiving should go from this to this to this and then the person beside us as they behold the glory of god through us through our worship through our thanksgiving their freedom their worship goes from this to this to this their thanksgiving keeps rising it may abound and the grace of god continues to ripple out through us and around us i believe that this morning i'm not sure about you guys but i believe that this morning we we worship 
you cannot be fully confident and thankful of your eternal rescue in Christ and depressed about your temporary reality at the same time. We can't get ourselves to look at two different things at the same time. Like, and if you can, tell me about it because you're unique. And I would say I can't look at his glory and see my troubles at the same time. I can only see my troubles in light of his glory because his glory is bigger than my troubles. His, bigger, his glory is beyond my issues. And so Paul is sitting in jail looking at the glory of God, not looking at his chains, worshiping the Lord, and chains fall off. Let me tell you something else if you don't know this. This isn't Paul's last time in prison. And so what would we do if we're in jail again? Well, I've done this before. Let me see. What song should I sing? Uh, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Doesn't work this time. Doesn't work this time, does it? And Paul's in jail the next time, and he's writing letters to churches saying, I'm content, I'm full of joy, I'm thankful for you. Paul is not discouraged by his present situation because his eyes are still focused on the glory of Jesus. He still knows. He says, to be absent from the body is present with the Lord. Like, it would be great, it would be cool for me to die because I'd be with him, but I also know it's good for you that I'm with you. Like, this is a guy who's not looking at his issues, and an attitude of thanksgiving and gratefulness is coming out of his heart because he knows his salvation. He knows what he's been rescued from. That's good. The psalmist says, this is a well-known psalm. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, thy comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You guys know this, right? I want to remind you this morning that you are a jar of clay holding inside this amazing treasure that we should be so thankful for. And when we experience death and decay in our lives, we remind ourselves that death is only but a shadow. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil for you are with me. God is with us in every bit of death that we walk through. His rod and staff comfort me. He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. So the next time you're feeling like you're surrounded by enemies, by opposition on on all sides, remember, he's preparing a table for you, a feast for you. In the presence of all the junk that's happening in your life right now. That's what your salvation does. He is your rescue. He is your hope. So when you look at your enemies, when you look at the things surrounding you, remind yourself he's preparing a table for me in this. He's not left me. He's right with me. The death is only but a shadow. I have something way beyond all this affliction to look forward to. And there I can bring forth thanksgiving. There I can find joy in this. This is thanksgiving. We worship God and we lead others toward worship. In Thanksgiving, we share the grace that we've received with others and they in turn discover growth daily. N.T. Wright writes this about this process of Thanksgiving. He says, Paul is keen that the end result would be more praise arising to the living God. More people are praising God 
the more the world, the more people are praising God, the more the world is taking the shape it was meant to have. And the more God's power goes out to save and to heal where those generous blessings still needed, where those generous blessings are still needed. He's saying that this is what happens. When we begin to worship, when we begin to praise, creation begins to look like what it's supposed to look like. Grace goes out. Lives are restored. The gospel is proclaimed. And things begin to come whole again. It's pretty amazing. I might say, Jesse, you don't really understand what I feel right now. Like, you don't fully know what I'm walking through. And I don't really feel thankful for my salvation today. I don't really feel it. I don't feel energized because I've heard this message. I know this message. I just don't feel the, the joy of salvation. You guys know what I'm talking about. You guys don't have to say, yes, it's me right now. But you know what I'm talking about. Revelation chapter 2. Can you turn there? Real quick, this is my last pack. Um, some Bibles will introduce the book of Revelation different ways with different titles and different themes. Um, some will say the Revelation to John. Um, some will say the Revelation of Jesus Christ, right? We make the book of Revelation into like, well, this is the historical document that forged the Left Behind series or the new <laughs> apocalyptic movie coming out next month, right? <laughs> That's not what the book of Revelation is about is the revelation to John about Jesus Christ, of who Jesus Christ is. This, is. this is not some weird, like, let's figure out the end times prediction thing. This is not it at all. And revelation is apocalyptic. So John, John is on the Isle of Patmos, right? He's exiled. Um, just doing a little bit of research. Like, I didn't really know this until recently. Some, somebody told me this. John was on the island because they had already tried to kill him by boiling him alive in oil. And it didn't work. <laughs> so you, by law, you couldn't kill somebody twice. So they left him on an island to die. So John's like crispy. <laughs> and, and he's on an island by himself. And the Lord shows up and gives him a revelation of himself. He's like, this is who I am. I, don't want you to, I want you to write this down. I want you to write down who I am. And so he has these words for churches that are real churches of that day. And in chapter 2, we see a word for the church of Ephesus, which is probably the biggest church at that time uh, in, the, in Turkey. And it was a massive church. The gospel, the Christianity was going out. It was, it was producing. Something was happening there. And this is the revelation that he, he gives John for the church of Ephesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars... In the right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, of how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. So it's all really encouraging so far. They've done a good job. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned You have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. We'll stop there. He says to them, you guys have done a great job so far, except you've, you've missed one thing. You've forgotten your first love. You've, you've forgotten the joy of your salvation. You can't 
nobody's really experienced their first love until they've experienced the love of God. It doesn't matter if you've been married before or not. Until you experience the true depths of the good graces of God, you've never really experienced love. And he reminds the church, your first love, the gospel, salvation, Jesus Christ in you, your first love, you've forgotten that. You've forgotten that. You've done all good works of the church. You've kept a good eye on false teachers and stuff. But you've forgotten your first love, and I'm telling you, repent and come back. And this is what he says, though. So they've, they've wandered away from loving God, loving the gospel, their first love. They've wandered away from this. And what do they need to do? Repent, turn back, and do the works you did at first. Let me ask you a question. How many of you guys remember the day that you came to faith in Jesus Christ? What did that feel like? The day that you knew your sins were forgiven, that you were washed in his blood, and you were alive to Christ. What did you do? Well, some of you guys brought, bought a Bible for the first time and started devouring it, asking questions of the text. Some of you told all of your friends, all of your neighbors, all of your coworkers. You told some of your family. You guys, this is right, making sense? You told people, right? Because you were once lost and broken, and now you're alive in Christ, and you're amped up to the point where your bosses and your coworkers are like, calm down, you're freaking me out a little bit, right? Like, I know those stories. That happens, right? You smile more at work. You go into work because you're, you've been saved, you've been rescued, you've met Jesus for the first time. You've found a love you never really knew existed, but you always craved for. You invited people to church, you maybe started listening to worship music, and you filled, filled your heart with like, man, they sang that on Sunday, I gave my life to Jesus, how do I hear that song, where can I hear that song, and you're going in your car singing that same song, and you, you turn off your radio, and you're just listening, and you're worshiping, right, you put yourself in that place. Maybe you served the poor more, maybe you, you helped the afflicted, maybe you volunteered, I don't know. We all respond in different ways to the love of Jesus Christ. But we did something in response. We did something because he awakened the part of us that was dead and now we're craving more of it. Is this, I mean, anybody been saved before? I just want to make sure that you guys are saved. I just want to make sure, okay. I'm in the right room preaching the right message, all right. He simply tells them, hey, Go back to what you were doing at the beginning and watch how it stirs your hearts and affections again. It's the same thing Paul's saying. Stop worrying about your situation, look at the salvation you have, and begin to thank God and and pour out grace. And as you do, watch the environment continue to change and grow. Thanksgiving produces thanksgiving. The gospel produces the gospel. It's what happens. It's what comes out of it. Worship team, would you come forward? I want you to know this morning that as you walk into this week of thanksgiving, ultimate thanksgiving, true thanksgiving comes from a place of recognizing our salvation. Do you ever like study the word and find out something about God's goodness that you like just feel like you got born again, again, like you just like a whole new level of like God's glory was revealed to you and you're amped up? Like, okay, all right. I can't see this, just so you know. I, I need like, yeah, amen. Like, let's, let's pretend we're in, that I'm back in Africa. I'll get, get those keyboards. Where'd Jenna go? Um, Rich, turn. Well, she's not there, so don't turn her up. That wouldn't make any sense. So when we come to faith, like our hearts come alive. Something in us changes. 
And thanksgiving changes our environment. I would encourage you this week, if you're sitting with in-laws or friends that you don't really like at all, remember this present suffering. I'm kidding. That's not at all the content. That's not at all the context of the passage. That would be wrong for me to use that. But still, remember, you have a treasure inside of you. You are the ones carrying the treasure. They might not be the ones. They probably aren't the ones. And maybe they are the ones, but they just forgot that's who they are. So maybe they're operating in brokenness, hostility, anger, oppression, depression. Maybe that's their operating system because they've forgotten their first love. Maybe they don't fully know the glory of God in them. Maybe they didn't even reminded that the Holy Spirit dwells in them, and that's amazing. But this morning, I've already reminded you. I'm reminding you right now that he is dwelling inside of you, that he is your redeemer, he is your hope, and so you have a reason to be thankful. And let thanksgiving, let grace come out of you and produce an atmosphere of more thanksgiving and grace. Let that be your environment, that as you walk into your, your holiday parties, your, whatever you're doing at work this week, as you walk into stressful moments with your family, maybe it's not even extended family, maybe it's your spouse or your kids, and they are pushing your buttons this week. Remember, you have a treasure in you, and that this momentary frustration is nothing at all to the glory of God, the joy and thanksgiving that dwells inside of you. Keep your eyes on him this week, and you won't complain. <laughs> you can't look at your junk and look at him at the same time. It just doesn't work that way. Would you stand with me? This morning, I want to encourage you, if you want a thankful heart, come back to your first love. And if you're having a hard time doing that, then go back to the things you did at the beginning of your salvation. Study the word, ask questions, dig deep, worship, serve the poor, whatever it is. Proclaim the gospel and your heart will go along with it. Thanksgiving changes your environment. This morning, I encourage you to find the joy of your salvation and let thanksgiving come out of your mouth this week. You weren't just sick like the illustration that I gave at the beginning. You were dead. Scripture says you were dead. But now you're alive. Let's be thankful this morning. Let's worship together. Music